Welcome to the Fearless Health Podcast with host Dr. Anne-Marie Barter. Dr. Barter is on a mission to help people achieve their health and wellness goals and help men and women live their best lives fearlessly. Dr. Barter is the founder of Alternative Family Medicine and Chiropractic in Denver and Longmont, Colorado. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Fearless Health Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Anne-Marie Barter, and I'm so excited today. I have Miss Leslie Glenner back. Um, she is back by popular demand. We wanted to go through um, more detailed attachment styles, which, which, which was what we talked about last time. She is a psychotherapist and also a holistic coach specializing in relationships through empathy. So um, I am so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me back. Feels great. Yes. Awesome. So I really want to dig into the attachment styles today and um, go through each individually. And then I really want to figure out so that people know what type of attachment style that they have so they can predict why they're doing certain things in relationships. So would you mind um, I taking us through maybe all the attachment styles? Sure. So um, in one way, there's two types of attachment, secure and insecure. But secure attachment is broken down into three categories. So still we have secure, then we have anxious, avoidant, and anxious avoidant, which is sometimes called disorganized attachment. Secure attachment is like what we think of when we think of a healthy forever after relationship with a partner, right? It's like we have little issue trusting people. Um, we feel positive about ourselves, our partner, and relationship as a whole. Whereas um, if we start to get into anxious, people really feel nervous or stressed about their relationships. And that's kind of a predominant experience is a preoccupation with like, am I okay? Are they okay? Are we okay? How am I doing? How are they doing? Um, and, you know, really the features that kind of go along with what we all think of as nervous or anxious. An avoidant attachment style presents as someone who's extremely independent, um, very anti being suffocated, always wants to have an exit strategy. Sometimes we'll see this as like a workaholic or a serial casual dater, um, just someone who's pretty unavailable to relationship. And the last and least prevalent um, attachment style, the anxious avoidant or disorganized, is when you have kind of a mixture of both and you're afraid of intimacy and commitment and you distrust it. And if anyone tries to get to know you, you can either lash out to them or, you know, just be totally unavailable. It's kind of a blend of both. Wow. And, and how can you determine maybe which one you are if you're on the fence? Are there questions or ways to identify maybe where you fall in the attachment style? Yeah, totally. Okay. I mean, I think that most people, if they're being very honest, they kind of know how they tend to behave in relationship. Okay. Um, but a couple of really great questions would be like, 
how comfortable do you feel being connected with your partner? Or um, are you someone who tends to seek more contact in relationship, less contact in relationship, or is pretty satisfied with however it is? Um, do you feel good being with your partner and alone? Or do you really struggle with being with a partner or being alone? Um, are you the type of partner who tends to be more needy or more independent? Do you tend to um, feel reactive to a needy partner or reactive to an unavailable partner, right? Those could give you some clues. Do you struggle with abandonment feelings in your relationship, real or perceived? Do you feel suffocated? Do you feel irritable at the comings and goings in relationship? Or, you know, are you feeling just generally pretty cool, calm and collect about your connection and separateness from your partner? So I say those are some pretty good starts of like, just how am I doing? What comes up for me in relationship? If you are, for example, you have an anxious attachment style, um, how does that present in these questions? Does that look like, um, you know, if someone doesn't call you back, you call them a ton, like what does that present like? Yes, totally. So, you know, anxious attachment style is, as we said, they're kind of preoccupied and stressed and strained in the relationship. So there's a way of presenting as sort of unsettled, right? Like, where's my partner? He went to the grocery store. He said he would be back in 20 minutes. It's been 40. Like, maybe he's not alive anymore, right? Like, kind of a heightened fear response um, in times of separation. Um, if we look more like at the arc of how they behave, they may be the type of person who's always been in relationship. They just went from one serious monogamous partnership to the next. And this is because they really struggle to be alone. Um, if we kind of drill down, and I see this more in the therapy room, anxious attachment style tends to result in a less nuanced empathy, right? We get so preoccupied with our own anxiety that we lose touch with what could be happening for our partner. Right? We start to tell these really extreme stories about why they didn't call us back. And then we behave as if that story is true rather than just staying open and curious and saying, hey, so what happened last night? You didn't call me back. Right? Um, sometimes they can be irrational right? because they're dealing with so much of their own anxiety and they kind of lash out. Sometimes they can be obsessive or controlling like, the boyfriend who will follow you to work to make sure you didn't go anywhere other than work, right? Or the girlfriend who will call you a million times when you didn't answer your phone and, or you've got like 25 text messages in the span of 18 minutes. Where are you? What's going on? What's happening? Um, so anxious partners just tend to need a lot of reassurance. And even that reassurance often doesn't tend to last a long time, kind of like goes in, and then falls out again. Wow. That makes me anxious just as you talk about it. I can't, I'm like checking around to see if anybody's following at that stressful, yeah. <laughs> Not really I mean, stressful as you talk about it. It's me. so horrible for the anxious partner to feel that way. 
And it's not like who they are, right? It's just the way that relationship makes them feel. And it also gave pretty extreme examples of anxious attachment, right? I could have said a couple more subtle things like people just tracking a little bit more diligently of where their partner is. Or noticing, you know, wow, my partner calls me every night at five. They didn't call me today. Hmm, feel a little unsettled about that. So there's more subtle versions of anxious attachment. Wow. And then if, as this relates to um, the avoidant attachment, how does this really present when you see it in, um, in real life? In real life, um, avoidance tend to be commitment phobes, right? And they may be commitment phobic in their relationship, right? Dating the same person for so long and just never ready to take it to like an engagement or a marriage. Or they could be commitment phobes at work or even in their friend group, right? Just like ways of saying like, yeah, I'm interested in that, but I'm not going to commit. So don't count on me. Because once they feel someone's counting on them, they can start to feel really suffocated. Um, that's a, a big tenet for um, avoidant people is like they don't like to feel crowded and suffocated by relationship. And it happens really easy for them. They can, you know, create a whole life that's just super busy. So they never have to really land with their partner, their workaholic or um, they just have so many extracurricular activities that they're only home for sleep. They leave really early in the morning. Um, and they always have an exit strategy. So sometimes what that could look like is um, they always arrive late and they drive their own car so that they can leave when they want to. They don't want to feel trapped. That's really interesting. Um I remember as a kid getting some advice early on from somebody. I don't even remember who it was. It wasn't a prominent person in my life, but whatever, it made an effect because they said, always have a back door, always have an exit strategy. And I have had to work really hard in my adulthood to undo that programming. And it certainly was not a huge figure in my life. In fact, I can't even put my finger on who said it, but I definitely wholeheartedly believe that. And I think that that's something that definitely did not do me justice. And obviously, you know, it came from their struggles. And, you know, I took that as something that was really an important statement for whatever reason, really internalized it. And I think that that definitely hurt me early on in relationships. So very interesting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because really what we're looking at when we're in the territory of anxious and avoidant is a distrust in relationship mm -hmm. and a way of just dealing with that distrust, right? Like have an exit strategy because you can't trust anybody, mm -hmm. right? Where we really want to be moving toward I'm okay, you're okay, the world's okay, and I don't need an exit strategy. I'll figure one out if I need it. That's right. And that's such a better way to go through life versus distrusting everybody or thinking everybody has an agenda. I mean, what a terrible way to go through life, honestly. Yeah. So what does it look like out of curiosity if an avoidant attachment style ends up with an anxious attachment style? Well, I mean, this is super common, right? So it's kind of like we, we see it a lot as like opposites attract, 
or yin and yang kind of dynamics where like one partner is super needy and one partner is super independent. Um, so these styles attract because together they feel kind of whole actually, right? Like if I'm a very avoidant partner and I have an anxious partner who doesn't care how avoidant I am and is always trying to um, connect with me, Mm-hmm. And I can get the little bit of connection that I want for not a lot of effort. And, you know, this, this dynamic, it perpetuates the relational wounding, mm-hmm. but it's so deeply familiar for these separate types that they end up staying in relationship. Not a long, healthy, happy relationship, but a pretty stable dynamic of, you know, pursuer and distancer. I've seen those a lot and I think it I think I've definitely seen in practice more of the anxious person and they're always trying to get closer they want advice and I I literally have no idea but I that's really an interesting dynamic but yeah you're definitely right opposites attract Yeah and opposites attract in this really upsetting way right because if you're the anxious person and your partner is constantly exiting that person is perpetuating your story of abandonment in relationship. You are always actually being abandoned by them. And so you're like, oh, this is what relationship is. Wow. It's That's really painful. Yeah, that is really painful. It's really sad, actually. Yeah. And then how do you see the disorganized um, attachment style fall into like how that looks in real life? How... How do they behave? I mean, the disorganized attachment is a really small percentage of the population and really is born from a lot of emotional and physical abuse and neglect, right? So you're not going to do a lot of deep relationship with someone who's disorganized because they're kind of like a, um, you know, an unbroken horse, right? They're just not going to get that close and typically people aren't going to work that hard to be close to them or get to know them. Um, these folks, unfortunately, often end up with other problems in their life, substance abuse, depression, sometimes personality disorder stuff, where it just makes relationship incredibly hard. So as healing practitioners, these people show up at our offices because they're really, really struggling. They can't maintain relationship. They can't maintain a job. They can't, you know, achieve the things that they thought that they were, of course, going to achieve in their life. Um, but just in like the regular day to day, this isn't necessarily someone you would have as a close friend because they don't do relationship in that way. Are we talking to the extent of personality disorders, like borderline personality disorders? Yes. Okay. I mean, yeah, that would be like a very extreme, you know, to to the right example of disorganized, where like you really can't do relationship. There's a lot of manipulation. There's a lot of acting out. There's a lot of erratic behavior. There's a lot of distrust. That's like a pretty, like an extreme, extreme disorganized attachment. That's really interesting. I, 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 I don't know what percentage of the population that is, but I think I see a higher than normal population of that in my practice. I don't know. I mean, I think exactly like you said, 
reaching out for help or I've seen people affected on the other side of it. So I, that's really fascinating to me that um, they challenge, they have a really hard time doing intimacy or any sort of relationship based on their upbringing. And do we know, I mean, were they just incredibly, they were just neglected in their upbringing and that's why this is the bottom line? Yeah, I mean, certain types of abuse and neglect um, in certain combinations also mixed with our constitution and our life circumstances and the other, you know, people we've encountered in our lives. Um, you know, it, it really depends. Like everybody relates to their childhood experiences differently, right? Mm-hmm. One person with a parent who's very emotionally neglectful may end up very anxious because they're always searching for that connection. Another one may end up very avoidant because they're like, I just can't get what I need here. So I'm not going to need anything at all. Right. Right. So it's just so highly subjective of how people respond to their upbringing. In, in a secure attachment, these these folks are really just comfortable. It, let's say, um, let's say someone doesn't call it five. Like you know, it you know, in the anxious attachment, they're a little bit more vigilant. Or, um, it you know, would in a secure attachment would that present more like, oh, they didn't call me at five. They have a good reason for that. I'm sure they'll be back. Some other, you know, they'll be back. It's no big deal. I'll ask them when they get here, and that's pretty much. Yeah. Always giving the benefit of the doubt is basically the bottom line to secure attachment. Yeah. And it's more like a nervous system assumption rather than like a thought of like, I'll just chill and give them the benefit of the doubt. There is a deep okayness inside of a secure attachment that's like, I'm okay and they're okay. And I'm sure that if they didn't call it five, they'll call it six or seven or eight. And like, that's fine. That's way different. Yeah. So it's, it's almost, it's just completely cerebral. You think it's in more of the limbic brain that you make this. I see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's very unconscious, right? It lives in the body. So much of our attachment patterning happened when we were pre-verbal, right? Less than one year old is where these patterns were kind of laid down. Mm-hmm. Um. So it's hard often to have even words or thoughts that go with just a gut sense in your body, right? Like someone who's anxiously attached, they're not thinking, my partner didn't call me at five. Um, I'm going to go into a tizzy about that. They, their stomach drops. They're like, oh my God, something is not okay, right? They're informed by the viscera of it all. Right, right. So, I mean, it feels like each of these individual attachment styles have their own struggles minus secure attachment style. It seems like they're able to find joy in that relationship. And although that's not without problems, I mean, every relationship has things, right? But um, they're able to find joy. Is is the problem with these relationship attachment insecure styles is that they cannot find joy in the relationship. They cannot be present. They just don't find rest, security, and trust is the bottom line, is a real struggle? Yeah. I mean, they can, they're totally capable of joy and security and presence, but it's harder to achieve and it's a little more slippery, right? It's just easier for them to become dysregulated and distrustful. It takes a lot less than, say, um, for someone who's secure 
it's just easier for an insecure to get rattled, mm-hmm. right? Or freaked out <laughs> or, right. you know, want to just like shove away the relationship or lose themselves in the relationship. So I would say like securely attached people just have more relational. I mean, resilience is the wrong word, but it's something like that. Just more buffer, more spaciousness, more tolerance for what would otherwise be distressing for someone insecurely attached. Is it more vulnerability? Is that really the bottom line, do you think? I mean, vulnerability is a really interesting piece of all this, right? Because when someone is anxious or avoidant, it's because there's something inherently too vulnerable about relationship, Uh right? You've been relying on somebody to take care of you. And for whatever reason, they didn't quite do that the way that you needed them to. And there's just a lot of over vulnerability baked in that then they tend to try to cope with that vulnerability by being invulnerable, maybe less emotionally honest, you know, less uh, ready to say like, I really need you, or I really love you, or I really want to be close with you because there's so much vulnerability baked in that they don't want to do additional vulnerability on top of it. Because basically their needs weren't met as a child And so they don't want to be, it's just what more salt in the wound. Exactly. And it's usually buried so deeply that it wouldn't even feel like salt in the wound. It's more like, why would I do that? I know how a relationship works. No one's going to show up for me or they're going to meet my needs approximately, but not precisely or in this way, but not this other important way. And I'll end up feeling missed. And that's the really important thing to remember always when we're talking about attachment styles is that this is this comes from relational injury and sometimes it's a big injury like abuse or neglect and sometimes it's just an amalgamation of all the micro injuries right like the way that my parents just worked all the time and they did it because they loved me and they wanted to provide us a good life but my felt sense was that, you know, I didn't matter or whatever, right? These, these just come from all sorts of different micro injuries. Wow. Are these thoughts that people can put into words? Or are these so buried deep down that they don't even know that this is that, that being to this level of anxious or being to this level of avoidant is um, they think it's normal. Yeah, great question. So yeah, in part, totally. They think it's totally normal. This is how relationship works. And nothing has proven to me that relationship is better than this. And they construct a whole life around it. And surprisingly, in like one session with the therapist who's like really attuning to you and feels like a right fit chemistry-wise and stuff, um, people can recover these amazing wisdoms and truths that they didn't even realize, you know, so it's not so far buried in the unconscious mind. It's more just like a memory that in normal society, we never get the opportunity to excavate. Wow. That's, that is like pretty profound and actually quite deep, (laughs) very profound. (laughs) I'm actually almost speechless. Um, Going back to, you know, where this all started in infancy, right? Um, You know, I know that it has a little more to do with 
how the mom is, is it all the mom first off? You know, okay. So how the parents actually interact with the child and how they're able to comfort the child. So you walk away from your child and the infant is crying. Can you take us through what each attachment style would be as the parent comes back? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'll even maybe back us up a little bit because the parent walking away is just kind of emblematic of the attachment style that's already there, right? We have to remember that when we're zero years old, right, zero to six months old, our very survival is contingent upon a caregiver tuning, attuning to us precisely enough that we survive, right? Like we cry and our caregiver says, oh, you're hungry. Let me feed you. We cry and they say, maybe you're wet. I'll change you. We cry and they say, maybe you need to be picked up and held, or maybe you're overstimmed and you need to be put down, or maybe you just need to get some fresh air, right? So we can't speak at that point. And our caregiver is doing their very, very best. And they always are, even in cases of abuse and neglect, they're doing their best to say, what does my baby need? And it's said that if they can get it right 70% of the time, that's good enough. And we feel secure in the world. We learn that the world is an okay place, right? So this put the baby down and walk away came from Mary Ainsworth's studies of the strange situation. And it was basically like, how quickly can a baby regulate or how much does a baby dysregulate when their caregiver plops them down in an unfamiliar situation and walks away? And how quickly do they reattach or avoid reattachment when they come back? Right. So typically what we would see is the secure baby is like pretty happy. They get plopped down on the floor. They pick up the new toy. Bye, mommy. Love you so much. Right. They're not verbal, but essentially that mama leaves. Mama comes back and they're like, yay, I'm so glad you're here. Right. Whereas an anxious would say, wah, I don't know where I am. You're leaving me. Wah, I don't like this. I'm kind of jostled and then I'm maybe inconsolable. Maybe I do achieve, you know, just playing with my toys. And when you come back, I'm dysregulated again. I didn't like that. I don't know what to do. I'm having a hard time reconnecting to you. I'm so glad you're here. But, you know, there's just an inner yuck. And the avoidant is more like, I don't care that you're leaving me. And I don't care that you're back. Wow. So on, it's really both. Is it... um it's both the parent leaving and the parent coming back or is one more telling like how they relate to the parent when they're coming back. Cause I can hear moms out there saying my baby's crying when I'm leaving them or like panicking. So I'm curious if one is more um, telling than the other. Yeah. I mean, so one thing is everything I said is a huge oversimplification of what happens. Like, parenting and caregiving and attachment is super nuanced, right? So these are pretty much generalizations. So I'm glad you pointed to the people listening who are like, oh my God, my baby is freaking out. Like it's good, that, them. <laughs> yeah, it's good that your baby is attached to you and doesn't want you to leave. And it's good that when you come back, they really are glad. And, and also as we see as parents, like we leave our kids with the babysitter and we come back and our kids melt down. In part, that's our kids feel most comfortable with us and they've just been holding it in and waiting for us to 
unleash all of their feelings. Um, I'm sorry, I lost track of the question. Well, it is one more important than the other when the parent leaves or the reaction of the child when the parent comes back is, is one more telling than the other. I think that there's not one that's more telling than the other. It's all about comings and goings, like self, other, connection, separation, right? So we're tracking both. Okay. And so let's say you end up with an anxious or an avoidant attachment style, one of one of the three. Um, can you find a fulfilling relationship? Absolutely. Good. So that's the short answer. Absolutely. Yes. The longer answer is yes. And you need to do some of your work, right? You really need to understand the what was of your upbringing to appropriately get the what is of what happens in relationship now and figure out like how, how and where and when things happened that gave you these beliefs about relationship and then be in a relationship that is healing. Right. So some of like the best couples work, um, they talk about the number one value or the number one benefit of a conscious relationship, the healing of childhood wounds. And the number one problem with a non-conscious relationship is the exacerbation of childhood wounds, right? Like, we're in relationship with our partner and we all rub each other's old wounding, right? But a healing relationship will help us work through all of that and illuminate like, oh, every time you leave, I get so anxious and I get that that's totally not about you because you're checking in with me and you're totally great and I'm going to go over here and figure out my work, right? So we definitely have to look at our stuff and understand the what was if we're going to be in a really fulfilling relationship. And some people aren't oriented to relationship as much as others. Right. So it's as a general rule, I mean, if you are anxious and you are with someone that's an avoidant, that's going to be a challenging relationship. There's going to be some, some drama or some dramatics, or it's just basically going to be overall unhealthy. And so, but if both of those people do their work, then it can be totally different. And if, I guess, if, what about if an, a secure ends up with an anxious or a secure ends up with an avoidant, basically do those also crash and burn if you don't do your work? Is that the bottom line there? I mean, yes and no. Like a secure person can be in relationship with an anxious or avoidant because they're kind of less phased by that person's behavior. Like, hey, you got your own stuff going on. Like, that's yours. I'm cool. I'm here when you get back. But it generally won't be super fulfilling to the securely attached person to watch their partner enact their stuff right? They might kind of get sick of it and be like, even though I'm not deeply triggered by your behavior, I would just rather be with someone who can meet me where I am. So it's really, I think the bottom line, and I mean, I think this is a really important point. Um, I just think counseling is very, very important just as you're working through some of the things in a, in an early relationship, because I just really think there's blinders to, some of your stuff, right? And so, I mean, I have found personally that that has helped me a great deal 
Um, but I don't know what your what your thought is counseling with relationships. I mean, we've talked about um, all kinds of different uh, insecure attachment types, but I just think overall, it's just a great idea. What's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that we live in a society that doesn't privilege personal growth nearly as much as it should. And people who um, are naturally like attracted to growth or aspirational or love personal development end up so far ahead than people who haven't looked at their stuff. There's a lot of taboos around getting help. Um, We live in this interesting patriarchal society where being tough is better than being real. Um, but I mean, I see a lot of couples who they're not coming to me because they're fighting. They're coming to me because they really want to have a rockin' relationship mm-hmm. and they're brave enough to say like, I got some stuff that shows up. Like I freak out at my partner over the smallest things and I don't know why. And I love this partner or I continue to choose partners that are just like my dad, even though my dad was the worst, right? I feel like every couple could benefit from counseling. And if not counseling in a traditional setting, some kind of couples work together. And if not experiential couples work, then, you know, reading and just kind of getting to know you exercises in a neutral environment of here's what happens for me when you say that, right? Having some ability to witness their process instead of just be in it and react from it. Yeah, I agree. You just really want to get the most out of a relationship. That's the person you spend the most time with. And I think it's just incredibly important to grow and make sure that their life is fulfilled and your life is fulfilled and that it's easy. Like that, you don't want to come home to to drama or stress or any of that. That's your safe haven with your person, right? I think yeah, that's ideally. Important. And we have to also like, have regard for the fact that a lot of people grew up in incredibly chaotic environments, incredibly stressful environments, and that they have never tasted, even for a moment, what peaceful, harmonious relationship could be like. So of course, they're not going to go out and get it, right? It's like, it's kind of unimaginable. And then we recreate the patterns from the past. We always go towards what is familiar even if what's familiar was yucky and painful, right? So, yeah, I mean, we all have this happily ever after story, but it's so far from what we've experienced that a lot of us just get lost and say like, I don't know, relationship is hard and we live together, so oh well. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> I I think one of the, a point that we talked about on the last podcast, I think is, so fundamentally important to bring up again, and and I'll just ask you this question: Have you go through it? Can our attachment style change? Yes, 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 absolutely. So, the way that we can think of that is like we are injured in relationship, and we heal in relationship. And if we are in relationships that happen to be healing, bring up our stuff. And then we can understand and transcend that. It's a healing relationship. Over time, we will start to absolutely shift out of our wounding to a more healed relational place. 
So yeah, totally. I mean, sometimes even really um, dramatic and um, hard relationships can help us to heal ultimately when we can really get an opportunity to see our stuff and examine it and do the deeper self-reflection and introspection and acceptance to say like, wow, that's my stuff. And I'm not going to keep recreating that in subsequent relationships. So even failed relationships can be healing. But yeah, the answer is like, we are all fully equipped with the ability to be securely attached. And some of my colleagues would talk about, um, you know, we're really excavating that innate ability. We're, you know, washing away everything that is not secure attachment because we're all born with the capacity to attach. And it's just our relationships that get in the way of that. You know, in, in thinking about this this morning, I was wondering, you know, you and I live in Colorado, but Wondering is, you know, attachment style, for example, in the United States, different than attachment style in Africa or Australia. Are we different or do we attach differently? You know, um, and I'm just curious what your thought is on that. Yeah. I mean, my answer is like, yes, of course, it's different, right? And there's that lifelong question, nature or nurture. It's like, yes, and epigenetics too, right? Um, From just a cultural standpoint, if we look at modern life in the United States, for example, like we don't have paid um, maternity leave. A lot of people don't. They're going to be leaving their babies after four, sometimes two weeks. My goodness. All these demands of modern life that alter the way that we're available to our children. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with being a working parent or, you know, any way that we choose to cope with the challenges of modern life. But yeah, I mean, of course, if you're a parent um, in another country, especially, you know, in an indigenous type of environment where your baby is with you and the entire village is helping you to take care of your child. Like there's so many places for that baby to find secure attachment. And here in the U S we're so isolated. Maybe we get a nanny, maybe it's the grandma, maybe it's the tired mom. Maybe it's a combination of the mom and dad. Maybe the kids going place to place. Like there's definitely an impact on our attachment by living in this modern society. Wow. That's, that, I didn't even think of that, but that's definitely true because we were more in villages before and we did have more support, but we really are isolated here. That is more of a challenge. See that you know, with parents, that just being a challenge that there's just not enough hours in the day. But yeah, ultimately, you're right. It's harder for the infant to find secure attachment. Yeah, absolutely. So as we're looking at this and let's say a parent brings a child in for therapy. Do you feel that it's important that a parent knows the infant's attachment style? Does that help? Does that have any bearings on much at all? Um, So if they're bringing in a child, right, they're bringing a child in probably for some behavioral issue. And that could be anything like fighting with their siblings in this particularly upsetting day or (laughs) bullying other kids or withholding their bowel movements or, you know, who knows what. Um, As a 
practitioner, it's our job to be attuned to our clients. And then if we are, we really can zero in very quickly on where they're stuck. You know, generally parents aren't going to bring a kid in for attachment wounding Mm -hmm. until much, much later. And it won't even be for attachment wounding. It'll be for whatever behavior that they're displaying. Right. Um, You know, typically like a, a parent who has adopted a child they're tracking like, oh, what was their early attachment like? Like, I'm going to get them in and work on this thing. That parent is is already more tuned. Um, and so they might say, hey, my, my child seems to be very anxious or avoidant or they won't look me in the eye or what else is going on here. But as a healing practitioner, we don't need that data. We excavate that data pretty quickly. Um, one of my teachers once said, like, if a kid is displaying, you know, bad behavior, and they're under 10, that's a direct reflection of the parents, either the way that they parent or their developmental injuries and wounds, um, or limitations. So, you know, it's all a systems thing, right? It's, it's a tricky question to answer because people bring kids in for all sorts of reasons and rarely is it, I'm worried about their attachment. <laughs> True. That makes sense. But yeah, it is going to manifest in different ways, right? Mm-hmm. You know, for whatever problem they're bringing them in for. Yeah. Wow. And I mean, you see this in your practice too. Like, for example, food, touch, and movement are all things that you work with. hmm Right. And things that have like helped or hurt people eating this type of food, not eating that type of food, too much movement, not enough movement, um, whatever it is. Right. So attachment wounding often presents in that way. Like we can get into relationship with food because we weren't in relationship with people and food was there for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, drugs, alcohol, you name it, whatever it is, some even things that avoid over exercising, just name it across the board. I think it's it's hard to watch. I just it seems like a lot of people struggle. And I know that you've said in the past that most people have a secure attachment, but it, it seems in maybe it's a population sometimes. Um, when someone doesn't feel good, you know, they have to heal themselves, right? But I I also feel like people really struggle when they're sick in their relationships. And that's really hard to watch, you know, someone so sick struggling in that relationship as well, not getting that support that they need, or maybe their partner not knowing where to meet them when they're really sick. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really tricky. And you and I have gotten to talk about this in our practices before of like as a therapist, I refer somebody to you because even though they're anxious, it may be a magnesium problem or an autoimmune condition, something that has absolutely nothing to do with their attachment system, or it could have everything to do with that or some to do with that. You know, it's really complex stuff. Mm -hmm. It really is. I feel like there's definitely always a piece of the biochemical, something that's not there, something that is really lacking or missing, or just even neurotransmitters that are not even present. It can be everything from, yeah, autoimmunity to to nutrient deficiency, to parasites, you name it. (laughs) Um, But then I also feel that always the emotional 
um, component really takes a toll and is really important to address because people just can't see that side of themselves. They can't see what role they're playing as well. You know, there are all their wounds. So we could talk forever, but let me, um, what, what four tips can people take home, um, today to really, um, think about? Yeah, I had actually written a list for that. Let me see if I can find it. So um, tips would be look for what was true in your upbringing, right? So oftentimes people make the mistake of trying to look for what was wrong. And they often come up short and say like, you know, I actually had a pretty good upbringing, especially compared to other people and blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't know what was wrong. So my advice is to just look for what was like, what was the water that you were swimming in growing up? Like, how did your parents handle conflict? Like, who did you spend the majority of your time with? Were you actually raised by your siblings who are just a couple years older than you? You know, were your parents very available and loving? Were they really hard on you? Um, How did they handle setbacks in themselves? So we're not looking for big traumas. We're just looking for what was. Um, the second tip would be um, just try to be honest about how you're doing in relationship, right? It can be very painful and scary to admit, like, maybe I'm not securely attached. Maybe I don't have this thing as figured out as I thought that I did or as I wanted to. And I feel really hopeless about that because I'm recreating some really ugly patterns that I witnessed in my childhood and I'm embarrassed about that. Um, So being really honest allows us to change. In my work, it's not about a forced behavioral change. It's about increasing awareness. And as Maya Angelou says, when we know better, we can do better, right? So it's really just a natural progression that comes out of Can I be honest with how I'm doing? Um, The third tip is to really understand that your attachment style is formed from your history and was necessary for your survival, right? Like all these interesting ways that we learned to like do relationship that can seem maladaptive came from a very ingenious strategy of being loved and safe, right? So if our parent never attended to us and just let us cry, 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 and we be subsequently become avoidant, that was so that we can continue surviving, right? So we want to create and invite just like a ton of compassion for our young little selves who are doing the very best that they could. And also understanding that their very best was concocted from a young child's mind, Right. And now we can do better if we allow ourselves to like see the true arc and trajectory of our wounding. Um, And then my fourth one was just really understanding that attachment is so important. Right. Like we don't talk, we don't say in our society that relationship is everything. But really, relationship is how the world goes round. It's like how we get jobs, how we keep jobs, how we create families, how we create businesses, how our society functions is on relationship. So just increasing your relational literacy and desire to do relationship well can go a long way. Awesome. I have one more final comment. This is funny. Um, 
Somebody asked one time on a on a group I'm involved with um, in on Facebook, and they said, uh, uh, "You know, what's your best mes- method, or how do you work with relationships, or what are tips or books or something like that?" And anyway, I was like, "Well," and I I talked about attachment styles, and I was I referenced a podcast we had done before, and all of that. And the um, the host or the mediator of the group um, messaged me and put like a, a public post out and basically said, I don't believe anything in attachment styles. I, and then messaged me personally. And I was like, you know, that's the thing. But it really created such an angry response, which was really interesting. It was like kind of off base. Like if you don't care about that, I, I would just think you would kind of move on or when, but yeah, he reached out to me multiple times about and wanted to talk about it. So I was just kind of surprised. Yeah. Um, I, I was, I'm just curious uh, what you would say to somebody that feels that attachment styles aren't real. Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, I, I don't get that exact question, but in my office, I encounter individuals who are like, what does it matter? <laughs> right? Like, this is how my dad was. This is how I am. Like, I don't, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, they're just not available to really examining it. Um, you know, typically, I try to just show them the ways that like, this does matter. Like I'll say like, you know, so um, tell me how it's working for you (laughs) that, you know, you always say this to your fiance and they get really mad and they're like, well, you know, eventually, well, it's not really working. It's like, okay, well, would you like to do it? But well, yeah, that would be cool. But this thing still doesn't exist. Okay. (laughs) You know, we kind of find a back door to like, relationship is everything and you're either enacting exactly what you were raised with or exactly the opposite and we want to find a middle path let's find a middle path yeah awesome well thank you so much for being here where can people find you if they want to reach out to you yeah absolutely they can go to my website which is at holobeing www.holobeing.com that's holo like holistic and being like human being Mm-hmm. You can find me there or um, on Facebook at that same um, business name. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dr. Barter. What a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed learning with us today, please give us a five-star review, comment, like, and share our podcast with your friends and family. As always, if you'd like to learn more information about today's guest, please head over to Fearless Health podcast.com for links to their site and other educational resources.